0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success
1: they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 120, and today we'll be chatting with Aiden Mazzari, the co-founder and co-CEO of Fluidware, which has recently been acquired by SurveyMonkey. Aiden has been an entrepreneur since a young age,
0: working with his brother to find different ways to earn their own allowance. He then moved from New York City to Ottawa,
1: Canada for school. After finding work in the tech field, Aiden began to explore starting his own business. He quickly left a stable job and dedicated himself to building a product and growing a company. In August, 2014, that company, Fluidware, was acquired by SurveyMonkey. Aiden joins us to share his story, what it was like starting off on
0: his entrepreneurial journey, how he acquired some of his first customers, how they built a solid team and culture at Fluidware, what it was like going through the
1: acquisition of SurveyMonkey, biggest challenges facing SaaS startups and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at HacktoStart, drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started.
0: thanks so much for being on the show
2: today. It's an honor to be here. I've heard a lot of great things. It's cool to finally be on.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much. It's, it's awesome to finally have you on the show as well to share your, your story and insights with us. So, you know, before we get into w- what you're currently up to, can you tell us a bit more about yourself, like where you're from and, and what did you study?
2: Yeah, so I actually grew up in New York City in uh, Forest Hills, Queens, and I came to Canada or went to Canada for school when I was 17 to study electrical engineering. So, and then I've, I've been in Canada ever since.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. So, where did where did your passion for kind of tech and entrepreneurship uh, develop? Is that something you had from an early age, or did that come along later
2: in life? You know, it's fascinating because a lot of very successful people will say, "Well, yeah, I never." you know, wanted to build a company or never had an idea that I wanted to do it. And But, I mean, I wanted to do this um, since I was probably 12. I think, you know, we, I mean, it all started with, you know, you're not happy with the allowance or like (laughs) you want more of an allowance. And so if you're not going to get it from your parents, how else can you get it? So it started from, you know, very early age, just like, I think our first business, my brother and I was just, you know, snow shoveling. And then, you know, we learned how to build websites. And so we would find random people on the internet to build websites for. I remember our first client was, I I literally was going around Yahoo chat rooms and copying and pasting the text. Hey, do you want a free, uh, sorry, a cheap website built for you by students? And so I paced this and, you know, spend like a few hours and then finally had one person respond. And so we had, you know, and then she said, well, I'm going to call you. And I was afraid for her to call me because, you know, if she were to call me, she would find out I'm, I forget whether it was 13 or 14 at the time. And so I, you know, when she did call, I tried to thicken my voice and I pretended I was a college student doing this for money and it kind of worked. And so that's how we got our first client on that front. But we also did... You know, we I, I spent a summer doing day trading, just stocks probably like around the same time. And so back then, you know, um, in the beginning, it was all about, you know, what are ways that we can build businesses to make extra cash and then um, I think through the day trading activity, seeing all the, like, back in the 1999-2000 era, just seeing all the different companies that were IPOing and, and learning about those things. I mean, certainly, I think I aspire to do some of the same things. And, and so, basically, the tech ventures kept getting bigger and bigger and more serious over the course of time. But, you know, it started from an early age. From And, and you know, we were too young, so neither of us, my brother and I, could get jobs. So instead of getting... A job. We resorted to you know trying to make money on the internet, and so that's that's kind of where it all started.
0: That's really cool. And so you know, kind of after school, how did you get you, you the start to your professional career? What were some of your first jobs? Uh, you know, coming out of studying electrical engineering.
2: Yeah. So coming out, it, so it was an interesting time, right? So this was I, I started school, I think, two thousand and two. So that was an interesting time because 2002 was right after there was this big bust in technology. And so, you know, we were, we were hearing about all these people who, you know, were studying software and so on and so forth and didn't really find work and the tech sector wasn't as promising as it was. And so, you know, I did electrical engineering and throughout my and so we had all these people that graduated before us that, you know, because they couldn't find jobs, went out and did master's degrees and PhDs and just, you know, kept kept through school and so the advice that we got from the people who graduated before us was if you can find a job that's remotely related to technology, you should jump on it. And, you know, it, it, is, it is a sign from the heavens. Go for it. And so we, you know, when, it, when I graduated in 2006, I got a job offer from Nortel. Um, and it was, it was actually a job in, I, as a software developer. Um, and so, you know, I studied electrical engineering, but you know, this was a tech related job. And according to the advice of people who graduated before us, if it's a tech job, you should just take it. So I just took it. And then, so I started working at Nortel, and this was this was a time when Nortel was still a prestigious place to work. And you know, I was pretty happy about getting this job there, and it, it kind of started my career in, in software, really. Because before that, it was you know, it was had an electrical engineering degree. We did you know software and programming as as kids, but nothing ever very serious. So that, that's how it started. And you know, I was at Nortel for two years. It was probably my first and only real job. Like official job with a T four salary and, and all of that.
1: That's really cool. So so after Nortel, um, you built your second startup called Fluidware. Could you tell us a bit more about Fluidware and what motivated you to create the company and the main product, Fluid Surveys?
2: Yeah. So I wish you know it, it's actually a very interesting sort of story, um, and and it's highly relevant specifically for myself as I'm you know in the midst of starting the the next company, uh, but. We didn't really, all we need, all all I knew was that I wanted to, wanted to build a company. And so while I was at Nortel, um, I obviously had this, this other company that I was doing on a nights and weekends basis. It was, it was kind of a very, very early version of companies that, you know, apps where you could install on your phone and help you get cheap long distance calls. So it was super novel at the time. Um, but obviously, right now, it's you know no one would ever use something like that because we have alternate methods. But I, I did this startup on a night and weekend basis at Nortel. It failed, and the the most valuable th- I mean I learned a lot from that experience. But one of the things was you just can't run a startup on a part time basis. I mean I'm sure there's counter examples of people who have and have made them very successful. But in a startup, you kind of have to do things that will statistically increase the probability of you succeeding. And so one of them is working on something full-time. So part of leaving Nortel was about, you know, working on, on a company on a full-time basis. And so there, were, there was a bunch of ideas. What ended up becoming Fluidware was none of those things. Uh, so it's kind of like a pretty lengthy story, but let me sort of summarize it by saying that our first idea was to build a social network around feedback. Right. So the whole idea actually was called it was criticism at the time. But the whole idea was let's build a social network where people can post ideas and then other people can provide feedback on those ideas. And you know, through this method, basically you can make your ideas better by getting by getting feedback from other people. And so, you know, that's what we started out with as an idea. It was I'm actually describing it in a much more logical way than than it actually we had built it. But all that to say is, you know, doing that morphed into becoming uh, a survey platform in a very roundabout way. That wasn't going anywhere. The whole social network feedback thing, uh, six months in, going nowhere. And so we had to we had to do something. And so we found a contract at one of the local universities, Carleton U- University in Ottawa. And there was a a guy there, and so we were basically going around town and seeing if anyone wanted to buy a feedback platform or what they thought about it. And he said, well, you know, I run a business plan competition. His name was uh, Luke Lalonde. Uh, He said he he ran a business plan competition, and, and the way it works is obviously he would love for someone to build a software tool so students can submit their business plans online, and then the judges could provide feedback. And then he says, is that what you guys have? And of course, being you know entrepreneurs, we said, of course, that's exactly what we have. And obviously, you know, we didn't have any of that. But what we did was we we got our first ten thousand dollars, and so we built this product that would allow you know students to submit business plans and then judges to review them. And so this is what you know, what eventually became this product called Fluid Review. But we never really finished it. We kind of built this very hard coded specific version just for Carlton. And so he used it, but we never, like, we never made it a configurable product that other people could also use. But the only thing, and so we, I mean, you know, we were running off of fumes. It was whatever savings I had from Nortel and, like, you know, we were running with Bootstrap. And so because we didn't have any money, we said, well, what can we do so that we can survive long enough to make this fluid review product um, that we built for this university so that we can actually make it a full-on product and we can sell it? and so the only thing that we had spent time making configurable was the was a form component so basically any competition that you run in order to participate in that competition people will have to fill out forms so if you're building a competition software tool you're going to have to build a configurable form component so that you know different schools can configure their forms and so we had built this really cool drag-and-drop form builder that in 2008 was impressive when we showed people. And so we thought, well, what if we just take that form builder and we make that its own product and we'll call it fluid surveys and we'll only do this so that we can make enough money so that we can go back and actually build out fluid review because we don't actually care about the form business or, or, or the survey business. And so... What ended up happening is the survey thing really, really took off and we got distracted and went out and built that for a long time and then eventually came back and did work on fluid review as well. But Fluidware was mostly about fluid surveys up until the point of the acquisition. So we built a really massive online survey tool that was super successful but as you can see, it was a very roundabout way of getting there. So I guess my advice to most people is, and you know, most entrepreneurs, is that's why you kind of have to just get started because you have no idea where you're actually going to end up. So there's no point in waiting or like tinkering and waiting for basically the perfect idea. There is no perfect idea. The perfect idea comes from execution and a lot of sort of pivoting into the right direction. And so that that was kind of the experience and coming up with fluid surveys.
1: That's awesome. I, I love how just everything kind of just came together. And I obviously there's a lot of uh, work behind it, but I, I really enjoyed the the story. So fluidware is a SaaS business. So what are some of the biggest challenges in building and scaling this type of business based on your experience?
2: Yeah, so I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because the challenges are, are obviously different from from time to time. I think from our perspective, I mean there's a lot of lot of challenges with building a SaaS business. It really depends on, of course, the type. But you know, some of the obvious ones that you've probably heard everyone talking about are things like, you know, you have to make sure that your churn is correct and, and very low, and you have to know your cost of customer acquisition and you have to know basically your, the lifetime value of your customers. And so when when you're starting out, you don't really have any of those figures. I mean, you can look at best practices at other places, but really you don't know. So you have to figure out you know, what channels to get those customers from. And because it's a SaaS business, which means people decide whether they want to pay you every month or every year, you have to make sure that your customer satisfaction is, is really great, because otherwise people will just cancel and, and go somewhere else. So you have to have a Measure of your customers, you know, net promoter score or some other metric to make sure they're happy. So there's a lot of components that come into SaaS business, but the another big one is it takes time to build up revenue, right? Especially if you're going on a on a monthly basis. I mean, to build a meaningful revenue base from monthly subscriptions is is going to take a long time. So your options are go raise venture capital or some form of investment or uh, you do what we did which was you know focus more on getting annual deals or especially multi-year deals uh, where the customer may pay you a full year or two or three years ahead of time and then you know focus focus on that sort of revenue because you're getting the cash up front and you know for a startup that's that's super helpful because you're financing the business. Uh, So I mean there's a ton of like a SaaS business has so many facets. Yeah, and I could talk about each one of those for probably hours. <laughs> so um, it's it's a very multifaceted business is the best way to put it.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so you were able to build a Fluidware team to over 75 people, which is amazing. So how did you maintain the culture and manage to keep that pace while growing the team?
2: Yeah, so I, I think that the, one of the things that we were actually able to do at Fluidware, which I'm pretty proud of, is we built a culture, but we also built a great place to work where people really enjoyed working with the people that they did. And I'm sure there are other companies that are like this as well, but really and truly, even up to 75 people, and, and today, you know, right after leaving Servia Monkey, being at like 90 people, I mean, people really like their colleagues. And, and so not only do they have a great time at work, working together, but they also hang out in the evenings and on weekends, and it's such a close-knit group. It's literally like high school but with a salary for, for most people with and I think most of that was we, we optimized for not just skill but also the ability for people to work together. So we had all the people in the team that the uh, you know potential prospects, uh, potential employees would work with. Uh, they would interview with all of those team members, and it was it was a group process to decide whether or not um, that person should join the team because we want to make sure that people would enjoy working with new additions uh, to the team and so i think through that and you know some other things we were just able to build this place where everyone really really enjoyed working together and so everyone had a similar sort of mindset we were all there to to learn and and to do great things and we kind of had this attitude of you know whatever it takes and so all throughout the company, we had people like that and, and it's just and so what that results in is is very low churn in, in your employee base. I mean people from we had this photo from you know the early days of the company where it was like the first six or eight people. and it was funny because during the time of the acquisition, all those same people were still at the company. and then but but in general, we had such a low employee turnover. Um, and I think it was a, a bunch of these sorts of um, things that led to that.
0: That's uh, really cool to hear you talk about. You know, the the first group of employees is still there through everything, and then it, and then through the the acquisition as well. It, it really speaks to you know the team dynamic uh, that you guys had. So you know, talking about that getting acquired by by SurveyMonkey, uh, it happened you know two summers ago, August twenty fourteen. So what was that whole process like for you as an entrepreneur?
2: So it's a, it's a very interesting. I mean, the whole process is, is something that I, I think I'll cherish because you know, when sort of start a company, you always, I mean, I guess investors, I mean, we didn't actually take any investor investment from um, any traditional investment sources, but, you know, people talk about it so much that you almost think the success of a business is either you get acquired or uh, you go IPO. So those are at least, according to, I guess, popular statements out there that that's what people look for. So from one perspective, it was something that we were we were always wondering, you know, which it would be. And uh, so when we first uh, started talking to SurveyMonkey, you know, we were pretty excited about, you know, the concept of joining their team, but it wasn't the first time that we had been offered to be acquired. So we probably have had maybe seven, eight different acquisition offers throughout the course of the company's history. And so none of them were anything that we, you know, seriously considered. Um, because none of them sort of offered the same synergies that we thought that we would have in joining uh, SurveyMonkey. And part of it was, you know, the SurveyMonkey acquisition just made so much sense, because, you know, Fluid Surveys was all focused on enterprise customers, and SurveyMonkey basically had the rest of the customer base. And so SurveyMonkey wanted to get into the enterprise space, and so that's what we had focused on for you know, the six and a half years prior, so it just made a ton of sense to, to join forces and, and to take on the entirety of the survey market from end to end. So the, the process was, I mean, it was interesting, at, you know, from one perspective, when you're first talking to um, to someone who's in the same space as you, I mean, you know, we were definitely somewhat competitive. I won't say that, you know, we were only complementary and we didn't um, we didn't have some competition going on there. So from that perspective, it's, it's always interesting when a competitor comes to talk to you about an acquisition because you know you're going to have to share information with that with that potential acquirer. And if they're a competitor, I mean it it's something that you're really going to have to think about how to approach because you you're effectively giving them the crown jewels to a certain extent. You want to be careful about what you share before you figure out if they're friend or foe, for example. Uh, so it was definitely an interesting, like an, an amazingly interesting process, just the, the whole everything from the negotiations to you know, the final day where we announced the acquisition to all the things that came afterwards on you know, what it takes to, I guess, kind of make the post acquisition process go seamlessly and to integrate the two companies. So all around it was uh, it, it was an experience that I think I learned a lot from, and and I definitely appreciate.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. So given that, and sort of everything else that that you've kind of talked about, if you had you know five or ten minutes to send yourself you know a message back in time before you started Fluidware, what would you tell yourself? Kind of knowing what you know now.
2: What I would probably tell myself is. Is it's, it's, you know, to, to be patient. I think, you know, one of the things um, when you're young and, and you start a company, I think I was, was I 21 or 22 when we started Fluidware? And, you know, when you're 21 or 22, like a period of two or three years seems like a long time. So, for example, when we got to really, I mean, our revenues, and I can share what they were like, I think in, in year one, we made, Nineteen thousand dollars, and we were probably six people or so working on the company. So uh, we could have worked at McDonald's and made way more money than that. And so, and then year two, I think we made was it one hundred forty thousand or something like that. And then, and then I think we tripled and then doubled after that every year. And so, but the first three years were really, really rough. And sometimes you you tend to wonder, is this thing? even worth doing am i actually wasting my time and so there's a lot of sort of self doubt just because things aren't progressing fast enough but i think you know just telling myself that you know be patient as long as there's there's progress every day and and you're showing up to bat every day um, as long as you're not stubborn and don't change your approach when something's not worth it, working over the It'll eventually work out, and you know. So you know, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, it really did. But it's important to it's important to sort of internalize that because sometimes when when you're in it day to day, you don't realize that you are making progress, even though it may be that you feel like you don't even know what you did that day or what you did last week. But all of it sort of compounds. And over the course of time can result in in great things, but you just have to be patient. And so that that's easier um, said than done. and and it's particularly something important for uh, younger people when when starting companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you you brought that up. You know, don't hear about having patience very often, especially not in in the in the tech world. It can kind of I don't know swallow you up a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: you you kind of mentioned that uh, you know you're you're thinking about you know what's next. So what is next for you?
2: So I'm I'm definitely um, I'm basically looking at either. Uh, so my plan A is I have a, there's a, there's a few ideas that um, I'm looking at pursuing um, and to start another company. Uh, but I also have one eye open for other startups that may be of interest that. I may want to join and, and help grow. Uh, I'm not sort of ruling out that possibility just because, you know, if there is a company that's already a few years in, you know, then then I think like and, and if I can get behind the mission, that that's something that I would definitely consider. But otherwise, my plan A is starting another company. Uh, I'm only two days out of the last company, so I'm I'm in, in kind of my research and exploration phase for the next few months. And uh, hopefully in 2017, I'll you know, hit the ground running with the next company.
0: That's super cool. Only only a two-day break so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, a two-day break. But, be you know, as entrepreneurs, we don't really take breaks. And so we, we like being active and, and uh, working hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, are there any, like, technologies or industries that, you know, you maybe are keeping a closer eye on than others?
2: Yeah. So I think... I think we'll look back on 2016 uh, in the future and say that it's one of the best years to be around to have started a tech company only because I mean just all the different things that are that are taking off today all the new industries whether it's it's like the whole internet of things area whether it's the area of drones whether it's you know it's 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 machine learning and AI you know, so there, there's just there's just so much stuff going on today that it's it's one of the best times, I think, to be able to start a company. And so I, I think all the new sort of exponential areas are of interest. the The key is how do you narrow it down and and choose one versus versus them all? They all seem super interesting. So for sure, like all, all the the latest and, and greatest things that are going on are of interest.
1: That's really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing where you land next as far as if it's your, you know, your your own company again or, or joining a, a new startup. So what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded or
2: used lately? I guess one of the I'm just opening up my phone as as we speak about this. There are a couple of things. I think I think one of the things that I've been using more, um, it's not really an app per se, but i've started to use um siri a lot more just on my phone i I have noticed that it has started to get a lot better and with the whole you know uh, intelligent assistant way that we're going about things i mean if you watch the google io conference uh with their announcements about the google assistant and how they're bringing the google assistant into the home and so on and so forth and obviously amazon's alexa like, this is this is, this is a, an area of interest, but mostly in the morning when I make my coffee, I use a French press, and so I'll say, hey, Siri, set a timer for four minutes, and, you know, it'll set my timer, and it's way faster than me grabbing my phone, unlocking it, getting to the timer page, and then, like, setting time for four minutes. It's way, way faster. Or things like, you know, Siri, cancel my appointment at 2 p.m. today, and it'll just Automatically do that. So I'm, I'm starting to use. That's probably something from, from a productivity perspective. I'm mm-hmm. using a lot more. Um, and it's have you tried it and, for Mac yet?
1: No, I haven't. Yeah, that's a, it's. I haven't yet. I haven't tried it yet. I've just downloaded the new OS and and I see it on my top right corner. So I haven't used it yet. So I was curious to know if that was uh, something that you've used now that you've been using Siri a lot more.
2: That's yeah. I mean, it's a good. I, I haven't explored it on on my Mac yet. But yeah, I mean, there's also the, I mean, there's there's also Cortana, obviously on, on Windows, and you know, I have a Hololens, and so Cortana works on on that as well. And the, and yeah, and that's actually another area that I completely forgot to mention: AR and VR is obviously, I mean, it's like mobile over, all over again, um, but more immersive. Um, so I mean, that that's another massive massive industry that's um, that's upon us.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to seeing where that industry uh, evolves over the next couple of years. On another note, is there any recommendations of just like great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video, or blog post?
2: Yeah. So let's see. As I open up my Audible app, so I generally um, will listen to audiobooks. It's probably most of my content, at least you know book wise, is consumed by audiobooks. Just because I find so many more areas throughout my day where, you know, I'll, I'll be in the car driving to the gym or back or on a treadmill or walking or just waiting and be listening to these uh, <laughs> books. But one of the ones that I recently read, and, and I'm going to give a pretty big recommendation for is the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. So it's it's the story of Phil Knight, his biography and, and the story of Nike. Uh, it's hands down the best biography that I've ever read. And I've read a lot of biographies. It's just the it's just the whole book from beginning to end is super inspirational, but also very authentic. And it just comes across in in all the chapters and in the advice that uh, you know Phil gives throughout. So it's one of those things that I've recommended to a lot of people and um, anyone I've recommended it to has loved it as well. So I, I think your listeners should definitely check out this book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great book. I really enjoyed it. I read it over the course of a, of a flight, actually. So we'll make sure that we link to that so other people can check it out. Cool. That's awesome. I'm glad you got to it. So, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about?
2: Yeah. I mean, my, I mean, like, you know, one motto that, you know, I, I do live by is just the um, if you believe that you can or you can't, you're right either way. And so that's that's just a general you know mental framework that I have. And so I, th- I think whether or not we can do things is is you know to a large extent dependent on uh, whether we think we can and whether we think um, they're possible or not. Because if we think that they're not possible, then they won't be possible because we would never try. And so it, it's one of those things that you know, I'm conscious of because when I do make decisions on. You know what strategy to take or how to operate in, in a certain field or in business um, it's it's one of the things that, that I keep in mind and, and I remind myself is the reason that we're not attempting this you know is it is it a belief or is it something more than that and it's just a valuable tool to have I think for everyone
0: yeah absolutely what a great way to end the episode Aiden thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us It was amazing to have you on the show
2: yeah no problem this was fun thanks for having me on
0: another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening,
1: and we hope to have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.